Uh, Rhoda Grant, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Scotonomics. What we'd love to hear about is more about your proposal around the right to food bill that we're trying to be introduced in the Scottish Parliament. Before we go into the detail of the bill, I'd love to know a little bit about, about the bill's journey. How did we end up where we are right now with you proposing this as a private member's bill? I think we've all recognised over kind of the last decade that we see food banks you know, springing up all over the place and the need for them. So this has been something that's been concerning me for a long time. Um, Now, in the last parliament, um, the Scottish government had talked about bringing forward a good food nation bill. And to me, that was really the place where the right to food should sit. And I was very hopeful that that would happen. And I was speaking to my colleague, Elaine Smith, um, about this because we were both very concerned about poverty and ending poverty in Scotland. So she had consulted on a right to food bill. And that was really just to help us understand some of the issues so that when the Good Food Nation bill would come along, we we would add to it. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. The Good Food Nation Bill didn't come forward. So Elaine lodged a proposal. Now, at that point, we were towards the very end of the last parliament. But if you remember, the pandemic was raging and there was some discussion about there may be a delay to the election. So that's why Elaine put down her proposal, because had there been a delay delay to the election, it would have given adequate time for her to get her bill through and it had cross-party support at that point. So that would have been possible. But as things happened, the election date stayed the same and the bill fell. So I then went to um, the Equalities um, committee in this well I applied to the Scottish Parliament to bring forward legislation based on Elaine Smith's consultation now that went to the human rights and um, equalities committee um, in the parliament and I probably have the name of that wrong because the name has changed in this new parliament Um, and they looked at that and they voted down the proposal that I should be able to bring forward the bill Um, And I was disappointed by that because it was the government parties that joined together to to vote that down. Now, I suppose that caused me two concerns because I suppose on one level, I thought they would approve me going forward on the basis of Elaine's consultation because they would have, the government would have had a month to take over my bill. And the government were kind of saying at that point that they intended to do this. So I thought they'll take it over they will then legislate on this. And because it's a government bill, it'll be much more comprehensive than a member's bill. But instead, they voted down the ability to bring that forward based on the consultation. So I then had to go out and consult within a couple of months of that meeting, which I've done. So um, we are coming towards the end of the consultation. It ends on the 16th of February. So I'm looking to people, as many people as possible, obviously, to respond to that consultation. And I've been speaking to people, um, as I have been over the piece, but, you know, I have a stakeholders group working with me. But also other people who are interested in the subject have come forward and spoken to me. And, you know, it's almost like every day, more and more, I see the need for this bill. And, you know, this week, 
you know, in the last few weeks when we've been seeing, you know, the cost of living really going up and that will hit the lowest paid already, the people that are struggling. There's people living with the help of food banks and charitable food. But I see that happening much, much more because of fuel, um, heating fuel cost increases. We're seeing national insurance costs go up. We're seeing, you know, mortgage interest rates go up. Everything seems to be going up. And people, even those who are just managing at the moment, must be terrified because, you know, they will ha face the stark choice of heating mm -hmm. or eating. So yeah. the, the process is... Um, Going back to the process, um, after the consultation, um, we bring forward a submission, um, a summary of the, the consultation submissions. And then I can table a bill. And at that point, I'll be looking for support from other parties to formally introduce a bill into the parliament. And that goes through the normal three stages um, of parliamentary process. Stage one, where a committee scrutinises the bill and a decision is reached by the whole parliament on the general principles. Stage two, where it's amended line by line through a committee. And stage three, where there is more line by line amendments, but by the whole parliament and then a vote on the, the final bill, depending on what it looks like at that stage. So there is a way to go. Um, probably a year before, you know, with a fair wind, um, that that would happen. So um, I'm, I'm determined to try and push it through as much as possible. Well, well, that's really good that you've given us that overview of 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 the process. I certainly had no idea that it took so long um, for a for a bill to move through Parliament. So, so what talking. I hope to do with the bill is enshrine the right to food. We have the human right to food. Our country has signed up to those treaties that say we all have a right to food. But as we can see very clearly, we're not realising that right to food because the right to food is about people accessing food, good quality food at their own hand, not through charity. And so many people are now dependent on food banks. So it is about allowing people to have the dignity and the standard of living that they access good quality food themselves. And the second part of the bill, which I would be proposing, which is probably as important as enshrining the human right to food in Scots law, possibly more important, is to have an independent body to oversee it. Because at the moment, you could argue we have that right, but there are many people not accessing that right. So having an independent body overseeing the right scrutinising our whole food system, looking at where it's failing so that people are falling back on food banks and pushing departments, organisations. You know, this is cross-government. It's, you know, cross, I suppose, the whole of, um, you know, local government, central government, in fact, UK government as well, although this would be a devolved bill. Looking at what is wrong and, and are, showing people how to put that right and um, but also looking at things like private business because you know a lot of this is about salaries lots of people who are working full-time are still dependent on food banks so it touches almost every aspect of life and that's why the oversight and uh, an organization to continue to push this um, is so important. Would you envisage that organization being based in Scotland or would that be a UK national organization with oversight? It would be a Scottish 
um, organisation because this is Scottish legislation. So it'll, it's going through the, the Scottish Parliament. So this really shines a light on Scotland and what we can do um, about this. And we, we have a lot of levers at our hand that can make a huge difference. So it's making sure we use all of those um, to make sure that people, people are fed and people don't have to depend on food banks. The, the right to food, I think it's a set of principles that would guide the government on how to manage our country's food system um, so that it works for every person in Scotland. And I took that from an organisation which has been supportive of your work, which is Nourish Scotland. Yeah. Firstly, the right to food outlines what a fair, healthy and sustainable food system should be delivering. And then secondly, the right to food makes it clear that it's the government's responsibility to do everything in its power to ensure that the food system is delivering these aims. Is that uh, is that a couple of statements that you would support? Yes, yes. And the government are still looking at their Good Food Nation bill, which is supposed to look at the whole food system from, you know, the field to the fork, to coin mm -hmm. the phrase. But, and I think that needs to happen. I think that is such an important part of this. Our food system isn't working. And I suppose what is quite sad about this is I speak to people who are involved in bringing food to us all, you know, people involved in food processing. The Baker's Union surveyed their staff. I know this is the case with people who work on farms, people who work on all sorts of food processing. Those very people can't afford the food they're producing for the rest of us. So there's something really wrong with our food system that, you know, people are making huge profits from it but the people that are actually working in it are are hungry and the people that are depending on it just to keep healthy mm. are also hungry so there's something far wrong you know we're a, a rich country we need to look at our food systems and put them right so that people can access good quality food at their own hand and of course it's not just the food system where those problems are evident it's actually across all sectors of the economy where people are struggling to get by and there's huge profits being made by by organizations or corporations within that and um, so t t moving a step forward if imagine your bills um passed ne next year um what resources would the Scottish Government need to find or to bring online to support the measures uh, outlined in a, in a likely possible bill Okay, so the first thing would be a body to oversee it. So that's kind of probably the more resource intensive part of it because you'd be setting up a body. Now, this body, and some people have asked me about this because there was a fear that this body would be kind of a, a front-facing body that was dealing with hunger, that would actually be taking the place of food banks, that would be taking the place of all those organisations. That's not the case. This body has to have its eyes on every aspect of government and every aspect of our society, to be honest, to see where um, those systemic um, issues are that are stopping us getting food to people. And, you know, you're right, there are so many things involved, for instance, you know, care of the elderly. How do we look after older people? How do we make sure that they are getting enough to eat? And we're hearing more and more people, you know, in A&E, workers in A&E saying, you know, elderly people are coming in and they're actually malnourished and starving. Now, that might not be because they can't afford to buy food. Some of them may be on quite good pensions, but it is about how we're caring for elderly people. Can they access food? We know that, 
you know, care in the community is really toiling at the moment and not enough workers and even people who are due to get the free personal care are not getting that. So those things about getting them food, making sure they can access food, not all older people know how to do an online shop. Some of them won't have the resources to make that cost effective. You know, if you're dependent on a pension coming in every couple of weeks, you're not going to maybe have the money to pay for a, a shop, a big enough shop, or maybe have the place to store it that's going to make that cost effective. And if you maybe have hurt yourself, you've fallen, or maybe you're isolating because of the pandemic, you can't get out to shops in the way you used to. So there's, it's not just about the money to buy food. It's really where our food is. And we all know that in more deprived areas, there's much less access to food. You can't go to the out-of-town supermarkets and the local corner shops are expensive without a huge variety of food. So, you know, when you look at this, it almost touches every aspect of life. Resources. You've said that we need resources for an organisation to support this. But where does the resources and what resources do we need to actually transition uh, a, a food system towards the, the type of system that would deliver on the objectives that you are covering? Yeah. So well, if you look at what we are wasting, and wasting is maybe not the right word, but the cost of our policy failure at the moment. You know, life expectancy between, you know, I live in Inverness. If I walk one mile in one direction and then one mile in another direction, there is almost two decades of life expectancy difference. That's pretty stark and that's costing us because as people, and we saw statistics out earlier this week, that the you know, the well, healthy life expectancy has fallen. So people can't expect to live as long and as healthily as they once did. And that has a cost on the health service, that has a cost on community services. You know, if we have a, a population that, you know, are, are unwell, the you know, things like obesity is increasing. And that's not because people are eating too much, that's people people are eating the wrong things and we all know that cheap food you know is laden with fat and sugar and, and processed and the like so all that comes at a huge cost so we have to I suppose spend to save to coin the phrase because if we don't do this we are going to have greater costs in the future as people's health suffer and their life chances suffer and that's not taking into account kind of the mental health issues about when you can't feed your family, that is devastating. That's dehumanising. You know, that's one of the things we should all have is a roof over our head and food on our table. And those are basic human rights. And if you don't get those human rights, it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important. You know, we need, we will make the savings that the initial costs of rerouting some of the things we do. And there may be saving straight away. You know, if we look at how our food system is at the moment, there is profit being built in and taken out of the food system. If we cut out some of those stages, that gets good food at a better cost to people while cutting out some of those those useless parts of the system. So uh, could you give us an example of what you mean by that? Which well, steps up where there's where there's profit that we would be able to cut out that would allow us to you know to 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 find the finances to make those changes. Well, 
I was brought up in a croft um, on the west coast, and you know we we farmed sheep, and the amount of money you were getting for that was buttons. But if you tried to go and buy it in the supermarket, it cost a fortune. So somewhere between the producer and the consumer, there is there is money to be made, and it's costing the consumer and it's costing the producer. Now, if we can cut out some of those steps in that process so that the consumer is much closer to the producer, that would make savings straight away. So that there are ways people are doing that. Now they're doing it for different reasons. There's reasons, you know, looking at food waste. So you've got things like community larders, but it's also about allowing people to access more directly um, where their food comes from. There's also things like standards. You know, you speak to people who produce for supermarkets, you know, if the carrot isn't straight, you know, if the, you know, so there's huge amounts of food waste and that food shouldn't be wasted and that adds a cost. So if you've got a field of carrots and you can only use maybe 70% because 30% are squint, you know, the consumer is paying for 100%. When we talk about how do we resource things, very often people focus on the cost. And that's and that's the most obvious. And, you know, in, in the society we live in, the focus is always on what things cost. And I think what you've said there is really interesting. And, and I, was, I, I wonder what control the Scottish government would have in those types of processes that you've suggested that might make a difference to bring down the cost. But the important thing I wanted to kind of get was what about the resources? What about the people you know who we need to move into these positions it be education or more in care where do these resources kind of come from and, and how are we how are we planning to bring that on because is there any consideration into how you properly resource a new kind of food system because of the i think because of the waste that's going on in it at the moment that is coming out in profit i think we have to make sure that you know, profits are, you know, I'm not saying nobody needs a profit. Of course, people need to make some profit, but the huge amount of profit that is coming out. And I suppose the hand that those buyers have on the whole industry, I think, is quite destructive. So if we're just looking at the food industry, I think we could squeeze costs out of that quite easily. There's obviously other costs when we're looking at things like I was talking about elderly people and making sure they have access to food. So we need good quality care in the community, you know. But again, if we don't do that, the cost is much greater. So what is the cost of getting, you know, give, giving a, a social enterprise some money to help an older person go shopping or indeed do their shopping for them. That's not a huge cost, but it's an enormous cost if you end up with an older person in hospital and then because there's not suitable care in the community to look after them, they end up there kind of delayed discharge. You know, you hear about people almost imprisoned in hospital for so long, which is not good for anyone. And the cost of that is huge. So you know, there's almost immediate savings to be made if, if we just reroute some of that. And I know part of that has been, um, you know, in looking at putting health and social care together. We haven't maybe seen um, the expected outcomes of that. And we need to look at that again. And I think that's something the Parliament should, you know, once we don't do enough post-legislation 
later scrutiny to see if the legislation that went through the parliament is actually achieving what, what it aimed. So, I'm sure there's much more efficiency that that, that, that could take place. Um, so so in, in summary, it would be really trying to find the money that we've got and, and make it work a lot, more, a lot better and a lot more efficiently rather than trying to free up a lot more, a lot new resource from taxation or from any kind of other area. Would that be a, a very brief, fair summary? That, that would be a fair summary, but obviously if we've set up an independent body to look at this and that, you know it is a complex issue we need to listen to what they say what they come back with so i think it's really important to to not clip their wings before you even get them off the ground if you know what you're I mean. so you're so right it's a it's a proper complex issue. And I looked into it th th this morning about how complex it is. It's been interesting. Our conversation, quite rightly, is focusing on um, certainly the, the, let's say, the elderly as an example and their access to food. But when you look at what the right to food actually is and what would be proposed and what would it would lead the Scottish government to do, it's a, it's a huge un un undertaking. I mean, I was listening to a report from uh, an interview with um, uh, Michael uh, Fakiri, I think, I think his name is uh, the UN Special Rapporteur and he said that um, the right to food isn't just about being able to get food but he's talking about the need for stable markets and this would of course cover imports and exports and uh, he's talking about land use and land access rights food security and food sovereignty employment law um, including kind of minimum wage and tribunals, immigration, because much of our food is picked and processed by migrant labour, health and safety, uh, oversight of the supply chain, oversight of the main industrial processes with regard to food, control or at least oversight of the um, supermarkets which dominate the supply chain. Um, I mean, most of these areas aren't devolved. So my question is, like, how can the Scottish government have the responsibility for all of that when it doesn't have the authority in a lot of those areas? Well, the areas that they don't have authority in, obviously you, you can't hold them to account for that, but there are huge areas we do have. So, for example, you know, a lot of this comes down to income. So they have authority over some benefits and that is obviously growing. But there are also things they can do about use and procurement. So we've seen a lot of that happen. Different councils are doing that. North Ayrshire has been an exemplar about using the funds we have to force change in our own communities. So if the government is contracting with anyone, they need to talk about the living wage rather than the minimum wage. They need to, you know, if they're working with larger organisations to put pressure on them about, and this could have a knock-on benefit for other places as well. It could mean that the, the Scottish government would have influence beyond Scotland, but really pushing them to look at their, their social responsibility and how they, they work in order to be able to contract with the Scottish government, because Government has huge buying power, so using their buying power as part of a lever, it's not only what they do themselves, it's where they can put their influence as well. And I think that's really important. I mean, many things are global. And, you know, I suppose even if you look at the food industry, there is a real concern that it can be 
people trafficking can be an issue because wages are so low. There's a shortage of workers. And then you're kind of hearing about people being trafficked um, to those industries in order to provide very low, low cost work workers. So there are things that are international that we need to change and make sure that don't happen. And we have to play our part in that. We might not have the power on the oversight to deal with it all, but we need to play our part. So it's about not only using the powers you have in your hand, but also your powers of influence. I went through all the areas that um, Michael, the UN Rapporteur, had said that have an influence on all of this, and some of them are under control of the Scottish Government, but a large majority of them, immigration um, tax, corporation tax, are within are within um, uh, within Westminster. So, could you explain to us why you believe that it's better for us to have all of those? Um, mechanisms in Westminster if they're so important to making your bill a success rather than having them in Holyrood and otherwise staying part of the union better than being independent when this type of um, bill needs the support um, of all of those areas. Well, I'm working with colleagues throughout the UK. This is not just a Scottish thing. Um, I'm working with my MP colleagues as well to make sure that this not only um, influences Scotland but also influences the rest of the UK and indeed we need influence throughout the world. So as my, my reason for um, wanting to remain within the United Kingdom is that frankly economically we would be worse off in independent with independence and we wouldn't have the same ability to grow our economy to, to pay um, benefits to look after people in the same way. Now, I totally disagree with the UK government at the moment on their their policies. But as I often say, when you're not happy with your government, you don't change your country, you change your government. Um, and hopefully the carry on going on south at the moment will tell people that it's time that they need to get the Tories out um, and get a Labour government in so we can make the changes we need to make. But And I suppose it's the same reason as I really wanted to be part of Europe, because I think the kind of, the the closer we work, because we, we are in a world that has global influences, the closer we work on those things with other countries and with nations hand in hand, the more chance we have to influence some of the kind of global capitalism that we're up against and one country can't do that on its own. We really need to join in with others to try and change the way that some large organisations can almost buy countries. You know, their, their wealth is way beyond the, the wealth of a nation and therefore they hold nations hostage. So we've got to change the world order as much as anything else about how we have the care that we give to individuals, the fairness that we give to individuals is global, not just in our own village. Rhoda, I know that there are lots of good intentions as proposed bill. For example, the desire to increase sustainability and increased health outcomes. But what would the wider economic, macroeconomic ramifications be? So, for example, would the labour of food producers become worthless and would they essentially become civil servants when you enshrine the right to food? 
No, um, no, and their labour is certainly not worthless at the moment. It feels that their labour is worthless. Um, we see things like human trafficking just to, to feed very cheap labour. And that's not the way it should be. People who provide our food should not actually be dependent on food banks as they are just now. So we need to value those who produce food. But I think we have to take, I guess, a degree of profiteering out of our food market. And that's that's what happens where shareholders' interests are more important than the people who produce food and indeed the people that buy the food. So I think we need a, a fair amount of rebalancing to do to make sure um, that we value both and that people have access to food. So, you know, it, it really isn't about, it's quite the opposite of making um, food producers worthless is actually valuing what they do. Anything You said you're working with your um, uh, MP colleagues, but is there anything happening in England? Is there any kind of momentum at Westminster to to, to, to have a similar bill um, to enshrine the right to food in um, legislation made at Westminster? Yes, um, there is. Um, I know the government are looking at their food policy just now. So there is steps to influence how that is. And um, also my colleague Liam Bain from Liverpool um, is looking at members' legislation the same as I am. So I've been working with him, obviously, and looking at how... I mean, he has different campaigns um, working and hopefully some of those will work up here as well. Things like um, using football supporters to help food banks. So you're not only raising awareness, but you're also getting people involved in the fight back against food poverty. Um, So certainly there are moves afoot and hopefully he will bring forward a private member's bill as well. But I guess, like me, he is also hoping to use his influence on the government bills, which are much more complex than a member's bill could be. So from my point of view, I would want to see the aspects of my bill that I'm bringing forward. I would prefer to see them in the Good Food Nation bill. I think that's where they should sit. The reason I'm proposing this legislation is that the Scottish government have said they're not going to incorporate that. So I will be trying to amend the Good Food Nation bill to incorporate the aspects of my bill I would be bringing forward. And likewise, Liam um, in Westminster would be looking to do that with the government policy. So I think we both believe and agree that this would be better coming through government legislation but if it doesn't, then there will be members. We can bring forward members' legislation to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, it's obviously more difficult. It's easier in, well, maybe not at the moment, but um, in theory, it would be easier to do that in the Scottish Parliament than the UK Parliament. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I would imagine so. But as we said earlier, however, the flip side of that is, if it was passed in Westminster, there would be much more ability for the government to actually make 
the transformation that you're that you're hoping for because in Scotland the the powers are still very much limited and you know as we said a lot of these things even push on to international trade but you know the idea of imports and exports in Scotland deciding on what the immigration level is and who do they give worker permits to is just so far removed from the kind of legislative situation we're in at the moment but many people none of whom I personally agree with would say that the market is there to provide food and in case of market failure then the charitable sector can fill in so can you expand on the issues that you see with trying to rely on a kind of neoliberal framework to ensure that people are um, fed well we we are living in the middle of market failure the fact that you know when i was first in politics when i was first elected food banks were few and far between so we didn't see food banks. Um, we had seen nutritional diseases, things like rickets, all but disappear. Um, we were living in a country where I had the expectation that what we were going to try and do was improve people's lives. So my expectation, and I think everyone's expectation, is that every generation makes sure the one coming after them is in a better position than the one before them. And that has turned on its head where we've got a generation coming up now that is going to be worse off than their parents. And that's absolutely unacceptable. I think that goes against human nature. And that is because of capitalism and market failure. So anybody who says to me that that's the way it should be needs to look at and again, I take it back, you know, this is a huge cost to the individual um, to have your life disrupted in this way. But it's a huge cost to society. It's a cost to everybody. So unless we put it right, we will all pay that cost. So unless you invest, you get nothing back. And we need to invest first and foremost in our people. The, the climate crisis is, is not one of the drivers for this bill. Well, well. I think they go hand in hand, but the driver for this bill is people living without adequate food and we need to change that. And and neither should they be dependent on surplus food that the rest of us don't want. You know, that's not the way forward. We need to deal with the surplus food, but um, we need to make sure everyone has access to good, healthy food in their own right. Fascinating. I've, got, I've got one very personal question for you. And um, as someone who's really passionate about social justice and and, you know, you're in the parliament and you must see these huge kind of systemic issues that are affecting our society. And you must want to kind of like grab a hold of that and kind of, you know, kind of strangle that and, and really get into the meat of it. But obviously you can't you can't do that because you're not you're not you're not in government, even if governments could do that. But I just wonder, how do you feel when you're sitting in parliament and you've got to do something? like introduce a bill that has that, that has the potential to do quite a lot of good but is still only kind of tinkering around the edges of this huge neoliberal corporate globalized problem that we have is that something that you think about personally is that yes it's frustrating but as they say you know the best way to eat an elephant is in bite-sized pieces you know you if everybody does their piece if everyone tries to nibble at it you know, collectively, and I suppose I'm a believer in society, I'm a believer in 
you know, our collective efforts. And, you know, I'm not a magician and neither do I have a messiah complex. I know that I'm only a very small part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess what I want to do is see others doing the same. And I think if, you know, I'm, and as I say, I'm an optimist. I, I think there are more people who want to see change for the good. And if we can harness that together and work together, then we can achieve that change. So, uh, Rhoda, thank you so much for joining. It's been fascinating having that, uh, having your insight to, to the food bill, and we wish you all the luck with it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rhoda. We appreciate it. Bye now. Yeah. Bye-bye. Do I just...